Well, again, I want to wish you Merry Christmas, and uh, I am very glad to see all of you. It's an honor that you would spend this special time with us. Uh, I do love Christmas uh, and all the, the, the beautiful things about it, and so I know that for many of you, this was hard for you to come to church. Some of you, you got dragged or prodded by a husband or a parent uh, to come here, so I understand this is a sacrifice, and I, I didn't want to be a Scrooge at all. Uh, in like saying, okay, we're going to have church today. Um, I love all the traditions, but I love Christmas because I love Christ. He is the treasure of Christmas. He is the reason for the season. And so I just had to be here today. Um, and, and the reason that I love Christ is because Christ first loved me. And that's, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. And I just want, just want to let you know, for future reference, uh, I'm just kind of wired this way. Like, we're almost always going to have church, okay? So, like, there might be a nuclear bomb that goes off, and I will still probably try and find a way to get here, okay? And I don't want, like, hold anybody to the expectation this isn't a test of faith or anything. I come here not out of obligation. I come here because I want to be here. This is where I want to be. Uh, on Christmas Eve night, there is no other place I want to be than in God's house worshiping Jesus Christ. On Christmas Sunday morning, I love the presents. I love the cookies. I love the breakfast casseroles. I lo- we got some waiting at the house. But more than all that, I love Jesus. And so I'm here because I want to worship him, because I want to think about him, because I want to bow at his feet. And so thank you guys for being here. Today I want to talk to you about this thing that so motivates my love for him, it's his love for me. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, that God is love. God is love. Now, we got a problem. Uh, we got a problem if we're going to have this conversation, and it's the word love. Uh, love is a word that is so cheap in our culture and in our language. Wouldn't you agree? It's a word that just gets thrown around in so many different ways. And I'll give you an example. I love Jesus Christ. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my church family. I also love Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes and sweatpants. I love those things. But, but you see, there's a problem there, because it's not the same kind of love. And then we're living in a society that has so polluted and so confused that word love. With slogans like this, love is love. Love wins. Love is blind. A love-hate relationship. Love will find a way. All you need is love. Those are great slogans, but the truth of the matter is they're destructive lies. And so today what I want to do is I want to go back to the source. What love truly is and what love truly does. So let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I want to read to you a very untraditional Christmas passage. John, 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word now, and uh, we pray that once again, your word will become flesh and dwell among us. Lord, that you will present yourself in such a way that it's undeniable 
that you are worthy of all honor and glory and praise. You're worthy of us to sacrifice our whole lives and everything that we have and everything we are to sacrifice it to you. And that, Lord, in doing that, we'll be blessed. Lord, I pray you'll speak through me on this Christmas morning in a way that honors you. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment, pray for the people in this room, your church family. Pray for the people that may be watching or listening online. Christmas is a magnifying glass, and so when things are good on Christmas, they're really good. When things are bad on Christmas, they're really bad. There's people hurting today. Pray they'll be comforted. Pray for our city, our county, our state, our country, our world. And I'd encourage you to pray this. Billions of people around the planet are going to be open in presence today. And there's going to be all sorts of joy. But once all the presents are open and all the wrapping paper is thrown away, that, that joy will begin to diminish. Pray that our world finds the joy of Jesus. That's eternal. Finally, take a moment pray for yourself. Pray a prayer something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is one of the passages in the last couple decades that has been so abused and so misused that it's confused a lot of people and it's created a lot of problems. Namely, this is the confusion, that love is God. That love is God. Another way to say it is that, the, that love is the supreme authority on life and living. That love, by our own definition of love, is the standard. Everything that appears loving is presumed to come from God. Everything that appears loving is presumed to be approved by God. Now, the Apostle John, who writes this passage that we wrote today, uh, this is the Apostle who says of himself, he's kind of kind of a weird title to give yourself, but he says the one of him, he says, I am the one that Jesus loves. So they had, Jesus and John had a very close relationship. Jesus once said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so John, of all the people on the planet, John has a very good relationship with God. If anybody knows who God is and how God is, uh, as far as humanity, John is a real high candidate there. And so John says, as he's, he's writing about who God is, John says, God is love. He does not say love is God. Do you see the distinction? There's a huge difference there. He says God is love. He doesn't say love is God. If love is God, some major problems because that means that love overrides truth. If love is God, then it means your feelings override God's word. Now, that's a problematic theology. I'll give you a couple examples. Recently, uh, my kids, they were eating a bunch of sweets. How many of you, your kids, have been eating a lot of sweets here recently? Well, they were on like, oh, they were at overdose level of sweets, okay? I mean, they were really like just tweaking out. Their eyes were this big around. They were hanging from the ceiling fan. And so I cut them off. I said, no more sweets tonight. And one of my kids, they said, well, Dad, you must not love me. 
Because if you love me, then especially at Christmas, you'll give me what I want. Have you ever heard this from any of your kids? Okay. And I said to him, I do love you, and that's why I'm cutting you off, because you are this close to getting diabetes. Who's right? I had, years past, I had a family member contact me, family member addicted, and they contact me. Many of you have been in this situation. They asked me for money. I said, no, I can't give you any money. They said, you must not love me because by their definition of love, I should give them the money so that they can get the thing that they think they need in order to live. By my definition of love, it would be unloving to enable this person to participate in this thing that's killing them. But who's right? You see, if love is God, then who defines love? It's a problem. John doesn't say love is God. John says God is love. That's much better. Now, Jeff Gaines is 5'11 and three quarters. I've been trying to be six feet for the longest time. My kids are like, Dad, why are you wearing cowboy boots? And I'm like, in my heart, I'm saying, well, it makes me like 6'1, you know. 5'11 and three quarters. I have blackish hair. Starting to get a little salt in there, blackish hair, and I'm a male. These are my characteristics. These are attributes to describe my identity. They're not in competition with each other. They're not in conflict with one another. One doesn't cancel out any of the others, and, and they don't change. And so if I stand on my tiptoes or I wear cowboy boots, I'm still technically 5'11 and three quarters. If I dye the little salt in my hair, you know, or if I, if I went blonde, I'm still black-headed, right? Uh, if, if I put on a, a dress and I start wearing lipstick, I'm still a male, regardless of what the world says. God is love. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is everywhere present. God is eternal. God is holy. In the same way that if I stand on my tiptoes, in the same way that my maleness doesn't cancel out my black-headedness, uh, all these things don't conflict with each other, God's righteousness and his justice don't cancel out his love. So, when you're reading the Bible and you come through these passages in the Old Testament where God just unleashes his wrath, and it's confusing to you because you're hearing that God is love, or, or when you, you, you get in these encounters in your life where it's hard to feel like God is love because there's troubling things that are going on in the world, You should not accuse God of being unloving, nor should you accuse God of being less loving than you. Instead, you should start with the presupposition that God is love and everything he does is loving, which is very hard to do, I do admit, because of some of the difficulties, some of the challenges that we face in this life. But I would contend that in the same way my kids don't understand the risk of diabetes because of the sweetness of the cookies, and so they don't appreciate my love and saying no. In the same way, the alcoholic doesn't see the seriousness of their addiction because of their need to be numbed, and so they don't appreciate the lovingness of me saying no. We don't always see the love of God because of the limitations of our vision and our understanding. So what John does, because he realizes that, he realizes there's going to be times in your life where you're alone. 
There's going to be times in your life where you pray a prayer and it's not answered in the way you want it. There's going to be times in your life when you read passages in the Bible and it's going to confuse you. And so John, he makes this argument. He says, God is love. Everything that God does is loving. And then he gives proof. He said, I don't want you to just take my word for it. Here's the evidence that God is love. John points back to Christmas. Look at verse 9. God's love was revealed. It was demonstrated. It was manifested among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. John says, this is how you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is love. He sent his one and only son to Bethlehem, wrapped him in cloth, laid him in a manger, grew him up in Nazareth, walked him around Galilee so that we might find life through this man named Jesus. You see, every other religion says that it's man's responsibility to get to God. That's what every other religion says. It's your responsibility to live life in such a way that you fulfill your eternal destiny. That's your responsibility. Only Christianity, only the Bible says God came to us. God bridged the gap. God helps us fill our eternal destiny. Only Christianity does that. And so Jesus became human so that you could know God personally. Do you want to see God? The Bible says look to Jesus. Jesus became human so that you could follow God effectively. Do you want to please God? The Bible says follow Jesus. Jesus became human so that you could approach God confidently. Do you want to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God, the creator and sustainer of the universe? The Bible says come to Jesus. You see, Christ came down to raise us up. We couldn't get to God, and so in order for us to have any sort of relationship with God, God had to bridge the gap. God had to come to us. Verse 10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, we couldn't get to God because we couldn't even love God. Love doesn't start in us. John says, not that we loved God. You see, all of us, we've rebelled against God in some form or fashion. In our rebellion against God and his good word, each and every one of us have contributed, the Bible says, has contributed to the murder of the perfect man the water walker, the miracle worker, the good shepherd, the righteous king. All of us, every time you sin, every time you know I shouldn't be doing this and I do it. Every time you know I ought to be doing this and you don't do it. Every time you're doing that, this is what you're communicating to Jesus. I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. I wish you'd get out of my life. I wish you'd leave me alone in this moment. Every time you sin, you are contributing to nailing Jesus on the cross. And so our default setting is to hate God. By nature, we don't run to God. By nature, we don't please God. By nature, we rebel against God. By nature, we hide from God. By nature, the only thing that we truly love is ourself and our sin. That's our default setting. And that's why on Jesus' birthday, most churches are going to be mostly empty. That's why in the world that we're living in, you're more, much more likely to see happy pride month on your email header at work as opposed to happy birthday Jesus, right? 
Why? It's because by nature, humanity doesn't love God. By nature, we love our sin. By nature, we love ourself. And because we love our sin and we love ourselves so much, it makes us prone to hate God because he stands in the way of our sin. He stands in the way of us sitting on the throne of our own life. And by nature, it makes us hate other people. It makes us prone to hate. That's why in this last month, some of you may be driving down the road and you're singing a Jesus Christmas carol, joy to the world. Somebody cuts you off and then there's curse words coming out of your mouth, right? It's because that's who we are by nature. God, the manifestation of the greatest good, we wanted to nail him to the cross. We didn't appreciate him. We didn't love him. Now, that communicates something about each and every one of us. You see, because of the hate in our heart, we all deserve to be punished. But God is love. And because God is love, he, 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 couldn't, he couldn't settle with the fact of punishing all of us, giving all of us what we deserve. Instead, God bridges the gap to establish a relationship with us. Now, in order for God to be loving, he has to be just. And that's what John's hinting at here. He says, but he loved us and sent a son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, in order for God to be loving, he has to be just. And if you don't believe that, ask anyone that's been sinned against. Can God just overlook sin? No. No, because if God just overlooks sin and evil, then he's actually committing violence. He's, he's doing an injustice to the people who have been sinned against. Now, you feel that, don't you? You feel that in your life when people do you wrong, and your heart says, you know, something, something should happen to this person, right? Uh, th- this person shouldn't just be able to steal all their pa- my packages off the front porch of my house that I pay good money for and just get away with it, right? People shouldn't go around like molesting children and just get away with it. People shouldn't go around murdering people or lying about people or gossiping and doing all this bad stuff and just get away with it. And so God, he can't just overlook our sin. The sins have to be dealt with. His justice demands wickedness and sinfulness and rebellion to be punished. Praise God for each and every one of us because all of us have sinned, right? But here's the good news. Because of his love for us, Jesus was born as an innocent baby so that he could die a sinless man in the place of sinful humans. Christmas is proof that God is love. The word became flesh so that he could die for us. The baby face that Mary kissed grew a beard that got ripped out and was spit upon. The hands that she held as he's a toddler learning to walk They drove nails through him. The back that she patted to console him, they whipped and ripped the flesh off. Mary watched the life that she brought into the world taken away in the most violent and shameful manner you can imagine. And in that moment, in Mary's heart, it didn't really feel like God is love. But here's the truth of the matter. In that moment, God was displaying the greatest act of love humanity has ever known. Jesus was despised by sinful men so that you could be loved by a holy God. He was rejected on earth so that you could be accepted in heaven. He was punished for your sins 
so that you could be rewarded by his obedience. His body was hurt so that your soul might be healed. He was killed so that you might live forever. Jesus became Mary's son so that you could become God's child. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says it this way, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and that is what we are. That's the greatest gift the world has ever received. Jesus Christ, come in the flesh to die for me and you. Now, I've got four more points, but it's Christmas, and here's my Christmas present for you. I'm just going to give you the points. I want you to talk about it, okay? Here's the implications of this verse. Number one, presuppose that God is love. Let's all just resolve ourselves. No matter what happens in your life, in this next year, you're going to have trouble. In this next year, there's going to be bad things that happen to you. Jesus did not promise a trouble-free life. And in those moments, in this year, in this next year, you're going to have confusion. In this year, there may be somebody in love come to you and call out sin in your life. And you're going to think, of your, you're going to think well, this person does love me. Or you're going to think, because bad things are happening, God doesn't love me. Let us all resolve ourselves today to start with the presupposition, God is love. He, even when I don't understand it, even when it hurts me, even when everything's going wrong, God is love. And everything he does is loving. Let's start with that. Here's the second thing. We love God because God first loved us. That's what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. We love God because God first loved us. Because God first loved us, we love God. Could you see that? Paul says it this way. In view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is the only true and acceptable worship. You see, the right response to the love that God has given you is that you love God in return. That's the only response. So let's presuppose that God is love, and in response to his love for us, because we're not always very lovable, let's love God back. Well, how do you love God back? What does Jesus say? He says, do you love me? Obey my commands. You know, we're like the little drummer boy. What can you get Jesus for Christmas? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The whole universe sits in his hands. What are you going to buy Jesus for Christmas? He's worse than your dad. Right? Jesus says, this is what I want for Christmas. I want your obedience. I want your obedience. Now, this is the thing. If God is love and everything he does is loving and he gives us these commands, then this is what you got to understand about those commands. Every one of them is for your good because God loves you. He wouldn't ask you to do something if it wasn't good for you because he loves you. Now, in the world that we live in, that rejects God's standards. And as Christians, we go out and we're preaching God's standards to a sinful world. The world's going to say to you, you're bigoted, isn't it? The world's going to say to you, you're hateful. But here's the reality, Christian. The most loving thing we can do is share God's standard because God's standard is love. Everything he does is loving. So love God, obey his commands, and love others. 1 John chapter 4 this is what this passage is all about. This is what John's getting at. Verse 19, we love God because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. 
For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he's seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. We have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, we, we love, we're going to love all people. John is specifically talking about, in this passage, he says brother and sister. He's talking about Christians. Now, this is what I've heard before. I've heard people say, I love God, but I hate the church. Uh-oh. No. Doesn't work like that. Right? I just read it. Doesn't work like that. Right? And so this is what God's saying. You love me? I loved you. I loved you in the most selfless, the most sacrificial way, the epitome of love I have treated you with. And you, you want to respond to that. I, I'm telling you, obey my commands. What's my greatest commandment? Love God and love people. What people? Well, let's, why don't we start with the people we live with? That'd be a good place to start, wouldn't it? With your wife and your kids. That'd be a great place to start. And then an extension to that, why don't, why don't we really love the people in this church family? I think that's what make Jesus proud. That'd be the greatest gift you could give him on his birthday. So I'm going to end there, okay? I could go on, but Merry Christmas. Lord, we love you. We love you because you loved us. And you didn't love us when we were very lovable. You said, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were our most unloving, our most unlovable, our most undeserving, you loved us the most and gave us the greatest gift. Lord, I pray that lands on each and every one of us today. I'm grateful for my friends that are here. I pray a blessing on them. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see where we're falling short of the love that you want us to live in. Help us to see where we're falling short in the love for you and the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ the love that we have for our family, our wife and our kids, the love that we have for our community. Help us to see where we're falling short and empower us, Lord, to love in a way that matches your standard. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. We're gonna sing another song. Uh, Worship the Lord. If anybody has any prayer concerns, please come and kneel at this altar. I'd love to pray for you today. Um, And if you just need to talk, I'm up here as well. Uh, As we sing this song, come.